You've got 10 seconds. The countdown going on right now. I'm sorry, I'm not doing it the wrong way. This is Play by Play Cast, the world's number one sports media podcast. Wait, what? Nobody's fact checking it, just keep going. Here we go. Who the hell is Happy Gilmore? Got all that on camera, right, John? Sure, I did. All right, because the red light was not on. The podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. Oh, you can stick me in some kind of Italian boat because that one is Gondola. Now, from New York. Really? All the big ones are from New York. Your host, Joe Godet. It's still Joel. Yeah, he will not be able to see very well, Cotton. Welcome into episode number 181 of Play by Play Cast. My name is Joel Gadet, and this is the podcast about play by play broadcasters for play by play broadcasters, hosted by a play by play broadcaster. It's a professional development podcast that dives into the tips, tricks, experience, stories, process, and preparations of some of the biggest and best play by play announcers in the business. And sometimes not just play by play announcers. If you missed last week's episode, episode number 180 with Alex Birchie, senior coordinating producer from Big Ten Network. Do go ahead and check that one out. Emma Tiedemann was episode number 179 before that, and Glenn Geffner from the Miami Marlins was episode number 178. And some really good baseball um, episodes coming your way over the course of the next couple of weeks as well, as we get the news that there may or may not be a baseball season coming up here in 2020. Uh, We're taping a couple of really good ones uh, when it comes to baseball over the next couple of days and weeks so looking forward to having those conversations coming your way football is on the docket today though our guest is larry khan he is the owner well let's get all of his titles down he is the president he is the owner he is the founder of sports usa radio and their primary nfl play-by-play broadcaster Previously, the radio voice of the USC Trojans. He's called the Rose Bowl, the College World Series, and he also has done play-by-play with the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim over the course of his career. Really good conversation from a wonk perspective this week. We will get into the absolute nitty-gritty of what makes a football call great in Larry Kahn's eyes, from description to detail on down the line. But the other thing that we get into is the entrepreneurial spirit. Larry Kahn founded Sports USA Radio, which is one of the major radio national networks when it comes to the NFL, Compass Media, of course, Westwood One. But Sports USA Radio was doing a NFL game of the week and, and used to do a college game of the week every single week. You have most definitely, if you've driven around in your car and put on the NFL, not a local broadcast, heard Sports USA Radio at some point in your life. Larry Kahn is one of their announcers. Josh Appel is one of their announcers. Adam Amin, uh, now of Fox Sports, uh, is formerly one of Sports USA's uh, NFL radio announcers as well. We'll dive into the whole how you decide to start a network and build that up process, and it's fascinating to hear about it from the very, very beginning when Larry Kahn said, hey, you know what? I'm going to start out doing my own thing, be my own boss in the radio industry. All that and more this week. Larry Kahn is our guest on episode number 181 of PXPCast. No different than anybody else as far as trying to get through it. It's a very strange time in our world and uh, you just have to do the best that you can. As far as our company is concerned, we are primarily a football play-by-play company. We just do the NFL and some college games too. But uh, So it hasn't affected us directly yet uh, as far as advertising, sales, and things like that. That may take a hit during the summer. But until we see what happens over the next couple of months, it really hasn't had an effect. This is kind of a, a quiet time for the Sports USA world. And um, right now, it's just it's a strange quiet time instead of just a quiet time sure what do you do uh this time of year if it was normal as far as not having games to call and um you know you're you you're trying to stay fresh for when football does roll around how do you keep yourself occupied from a broadcast standpoint when the seasons are not in play that's a great question, Joel. I don't have an answer for you. <laughs> we, we, you know, there's just not a lot to do when you're when you're doing four and a half months of play by play. The other five and a half. Uh, let me do some quick math here. The other seven and a half months, uh, you don't. <laughs> there's not a lot to do. I mean, obviously, we we have to keep the company running, and we have people that work for us, and and we do various things, and we're we're in constant touch with teams and the league, and just 
little stuff, but as far as day-to-day operation, it's not the same. It really is during the football season. It's a seven day a week job for those four and a half months. And during the off season, it is whenever we get to things. Once in a while, something will come up. I had a team the other day that asked me to critique their uh, weekly media release Hmm. and compare it to some other teams. And I had the time to sit down and, and, do that so just a little stuff here and there but right now with the world the way it is it's it's less than normal let's put it that way i I've, i'm averaging two emails a day and one of them is spam so <laughs> i'm really not getting a heck of a lot as far as uh, work related stuff you never know you could be there could be a, a a prince somewhere sitting on a pile of money that he's trying to give to you just, yeah, well, I, I get those emails, too, and I've yet to, to get that pile. I've got some piles, but it hasn't been a pile of money. So <laughs> That's kind of cool, though, that uh, NFL teams reach out to you and say, hey, like, look at our, our notes and tell us what's in them, what works, what doesn't work, what could work better. Yeah, I, I was impressed. It's, it's only one team, and, it, and it's one of the uh, top teams as far as the public relations staff is concerned, but they – they were curious. They said, hey, you know, we've got a little bit of time on our hands right now. And what, what do you like about what we do? What do you dislike about what we do? What do you think we could add? What do you think we could subtract? And how do you compare it to other teams? And because they are one of the top teams in the league, I, I said, hey, don't change a whole heck of a lot. You know, keep it the way you are. And let me give you some examples of just some horrible teams, which I was more than happy to do. And um, I think they were kind of stunned by that. Because when you, when you do a good job and, and – I, I don't think that you feel as though you're going above and beyond. I think that when you do something well, and this extends beyond uh, a game release, I think it, it extends to what we do. And, and I think in everyday life, when you're good at something and you do a good job at it, it's what you expect. I don't think if you're really uh, honest with yourself, you expect good things. Hmm. And if you put out something that's less than a hundred percent, which again, it can be a media release. It can be uh, how well you paint your house. You know, if, if you do less than a hundred percent job, then you know it, and you know it's not very good. And you can compare it to the house next door and say, "Gee, that that house looks really good, and my house looks pretty crappy, even though I just painted it." You know, so it, it extends to a lot of things. But certainly, they this particular team is one of the best, and uh, and I I was very honored that they asked me. And flattered and all of those things, but I thought it was great. I, I and, and it gave me a chance to sit down and look at some things, and you kind of shake your head. It's the off season, and so I don't concentrate on it. But I I went to one of the game releases from one of the teams that's bottom five, and just shook my head. And I had them side by side and compared the two. And it, during the season, it's very frustrating. And uh, during the off season, it kind of reminded me, oh yeah, these guys are really good, and these other guys are really bad. <laughs> It's it's funny it's actually because uh, some of our SIDs at, at Ball State have said to me in the past, hey, like Joel, what do you want in game notes when we put them together? And I, I remember saying to our men's basketball guy, I was like, whatever you do, do not take out the game by game, um, because like that's right. that's the thing I live by. Uh, sure. What are things that you need preparation wise that are most important to you uh, when you sit down and prepare to to get to know an NFL team? Well, it's interesting because the first question that was asked from this PR department was what is the first thing you look at? And I told them actually the first thing I look at is who the TV crew is, because if it's a couple of people that are working on the game that I know, I might call them during the week and touch base. But basically the first thing I look at is the depth chart. And I start working on my boards and putting all the players in place from the linemen to the the quarterback, running backs, receivers, et cetera, on offense. And then defensively, I have my little scheme with the defensive lineman up front and then the linebackers in the middle and the defensive backs on the back. So that's, that's my number one thing. And then just what you're talking about stats. And then you look at game by game and what have they done lately? I watch a lot of film. So it, it it's, from the, a game note perspective, I don't actually delve into the notes themselves until Friday because usually I'm on a plane on Friday and on that airplane, I start highlighting things with my little yellow highlighter. And then I will transfer the things that I think are important and possibly good enough to use during the game. Uh, I do that on Saturday because I want it really fresh on my mind for a Sunday broadcast. I do a lot of reading during the week, but I don't specifically highlight things until Friday. How much film do you need to watch to be comfortable? You're never comfortable. You know, I mean, seriously, you, I, I always watched at least the previous game that a team had played. So if I've got New England and Cleveland on a Sunday 
And if the previous Sunday New England played Buffalo and Cleveland played Cincinnati, I will watch both of those TV broadcasts. So I'll get a feel for what they did recently. Uh, certain teams obviously are on in prime time more often, like a New England team or a Dallas Cowboy team or something like that. So just because of the fact that as a football person, you watch games. When I do an early game on a Sunday, obviously by Sunday night, if I'm not on an airplane, I'm watching Sunday night football. And I try and watch Monday night football, although it's basically unwatchable, but that's another story. <laughs> but, uh, but, but, you know, you try and watch as much as you can and you, you try and stay interested. And so you're familiar with a lot of teams and by the same token, and this is not to take anything away from the Detroit lions or Cincinnati Bengals. You're not going to get a lot of Bengals games in prime time. So if I'm doing a Bengals game, I haven't seen as many Bengals offensive plays as I will have seen new England Patriots offensive plays. Uh, so you just kind of have to balance it all out, but I try and watch as much as I can within reason. You also don't want to go crazy. And you don't want to overthink everything and start trying to figure out, well, I'm third and one. They always do this. I'm not a coach, nor should I be a coach. And I just try and look for certain tendencies and, and things that a team may be, uh, on the surface anyway, good at or bad at. Yeah, so that's what I was curious, too, was do you watch it just from a comfortability standpoint so you know what guys – look like kind of like what their what their shape is like so outside their number you kind of have a, a feel oh, well this running back looks like that um and you can get some recognition quicker or do you really want to like how much of the analysis do you want to know so that you can ask your analysts certain questions or tee them up in a certain way or can that start to get you too into the weeds where um you can start to get too complicated particularly on radio well i think you can get too complicated i, th- I think there's a tendency to over-prepare, if, if you will. If you do too much, then you do make it a lot more difficult than it needs to be. Uh, I, I like to have all the information in the back of my head, and then it's up to me to simplify it for the listener and make them comfortable. My philosophy has always been that when I'm sitting there with my analyst watching a game and broadcasting a game, it's basically two guys sitting at a bar and talking about the game. Now, in radio, that's obviously different than television because when there's two guys sitting at a bar watching the game, they're seeing the game as a radio play-by-play announcer. I'm having to describe everything. So uh, it is a little different, but my job is to describe it and then bring out certain things in the analyst. If if, if a team on third and one runs a certain play, and I think that's a little unusual, I will certainly ask the analyst. It's not up to me to say, well, what, what are they doing there? That's not, that's not my job. My job is to say, well, that was an interesting call. What did you think of that? And then let the analyst run with it because they're the experts and I'm, I'm not the expert. My job, again, is to describe the play, explain what happened. And certainly it, it, my job also is to question what happens up to a point. But again, up to a point, and I, I choose not to go beyond that point. I think everybody will look at something and say, well, what in the world were they doing there? Mm. You know, it's, when it's third and inches and they throw a 40-yard pass and it misses badly because the guy was double covered, you sit there and say, well, what were they thinking? What was the quarterback thinking? Why did they do that when they've been running the ball successfully all day? But that's a simple question for me to ask the analyst. How do you best work in an analyst in a radio broadcast? Um, because, Especially in this day and age when offenses go so quickly. Um, where do you pick and choose your spots? And, and is it easier sometimes just to kind of let them make their point and then, hey, I got to get back to setting up a formation and mental note, I want to come back to something that, that they said later. Yeah, that's exactly what I do. My, again, my job is to get in and get out of the play. Okay. It, it's set up the formation. It's first and 10 at the 20 yard line, uh, two receivers, right? One to the left split backs behind so-and-so who's under center. Okay. And then I call the play and then I try and shut up and let the analyst make his point. Again, when you have a situation that calls for speculation, that might be the time where at the end of the play, I turn to the analyst and say, what did you think of that play call? or something along those lines. Uh, generally speaking, it's my turn to talk, then it's the analyst's turn to talk, then it's my turn to talk. But I also think it's very important that you have a conversation. So you just have to you just have to mix it in. There, there are times to converse, and there are times you can't. But again, in radio, you can't talk over a play. It drives me nuts when I hear two people in a booth that are talking over a play, and you hear a crowd reacting. And as the person on the other side of the radio you sit there and say what's going on the crowd just reacted and these two idiots are talking to each other 
So it's, to me, that's very, very important. You never want to have conversation going on when the crowd reacts. And the first thing that the listener says is, why did the crowd react? Right. They're not telling me what's happening. What um, What's your take on the, the detail-oriented nature of football play-by-play as well? Because I remember being taught... Um, like particularly like when I was in college, you weren't allowed on the air unless you said there was a snap. Um, and I mean, even beyond that, like there's no more demarcated field in sports, I feel like, than a football field. It tells you there's so many markings of where everything is. Um, but nowadays you'll hear games sometimes where there's not a handoff or there's not a pass like someone it's just all right. Second down and 10. Here's Edron James to the outside. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Um What's your take on exactly how much of that detail you need and, and when and where you can let things slide if it gets you, if, if there's a, a necessary reason for it? Well, I don't think there is a necessary reason for it. I'm from the old school and I, I do, I like to call every snap. Okay, shotgun, uh, Brady gets the snap, rolls to his right, and all the time Brady doesn't roll out very much. <laughs> but I'm using that as an example. And my other thing, I just mentioned right, and, and you mentioned runs to the outside. Okay, is he running to the outside right or left? Not near side, far side. Okay, unfortunately, the majority of radio play-by-play announcers will say near side and far side. And if you have a blank canvas, which is what we have as play-by-play announcers, and you say near side, that's great if you're doing a TV broadcast. But there is no near side, far side to the radio listener. It's right or left. It's very simple. Right or left, not near side, far side. And that drives me out of my mind. It has since I was a little kid, and I've I've always been into uh, play-by-play, and I want a description of what the person is seeing. I want to be able to put that image in my mind as if I'm at that game and watching the game. And near side, far side doesn't do it for me. So that's one of my pet peeves, and you can tell I'm getting agitated just talking (laughs) about it. But I think it's really important. I really do. You know, it throws to the right, throws over the middle, throws to the left. Okay, left flat, right flat, not near side flat. Because, again, near side, that's great. If you just said that the Cowboys are going from our right to our left, okay, that's fine. But why would you do that? There is no need to do that on an on a every down basis. So you got to remember in radio, people are tuning in and tuning out at all times. So if you're saying near side, far side, there's a real good chance, even if four plays ago you said the Team X is going from right to left, that the listener that is listening to this particular play doesn't know what the near side is. Right. And it's not that difficult. Why near or far when you can say right or left? It's a whole lot easier to say right or left. It really is. And near or far needs a qualifier. So yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But again, you don't need the qualifier if you just say right or left. Not important to, to do near or far if you're doing right or left. It, it just it paints a better picture. It's a much clearer picture when you th- say throws to the right side. Okay, throws to the right sideline throwing deep down the right sideline. Now everybody has a picture in their mind, even if in their mind, that team is going left to right or right to left, because in our minds, we're, we're, we're creating basically a television screen or a field that we were watching the game in our mind's eye. Okay. So if you say, right, it's very clear what you're, what you're describing, or you say left, or you say middle, when you go near side, far side, you're, you're not being clear at all. What other pet peeves do you have that, that, uh, that agitate you right off the bat? Oh gosh, there are so many. <laughs> it's, uh, uh, there, there are a lot of, of guys, or certainly have been in the past, who will say, uh, we'll, "We'll go back to your Edron James description." Uh, they give us to Edron James. He goes over the middle, and he gets about about three yards, and then he shuts up, and the analyst says his thing, and then the guy comes back and says, "Okay, second down." Well, second down, what, second and seven? Do I have to do the calculation as a listener in my head? It was about three yards. Is it second and seven? Is it second and eight? Is it second and six? And what's the yard line? I think it's hugely important that prior to every play, you say where the ball is, what the down and distance is. Every single play. Okay, second and seven at the 24. All right, third and eight at the 43 or at their own 43, whatever it might be. But I think it's really important that you – it, it, you qualify every play because you can't expect people to calculate. Uh, there was a, a Monday night crew that was very famous many years ago. And the play-by-play announcer would do just that. He throws over the middle complete and he's got the first down. And then the analyst would say, Oh, what a hit by the linebacker. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, 
right? He threw over the middle. He got the first down. How, where, where's the ball? Mm. It's very simple. Where's the ball? And the analyst is going crazy. And then the play-by-play guy would get it back. He'd say, okay, first down Detroit. And I'm like, okay, where? <laughs> it's radio. Where? And I think that people lose sight of that. I really do. I think a lot of announcers forget the fact that they have a blank canvas and they are the eyes of the listener. And it's very easy to get caught up in that. It really is because there is an assumption in the human brain that what I'm seeing, other people are seeing. I'm sitting next to an analyst who is seeing the same thing. I'm sitting next to a spotter who's seeing the same thing. I'm sitting next to a statistician who is seeing the same thing. But the person that I'm actually talking to isn't seeing anything. And it's hard sometimes to remember that. It really is. And it's something that I think every play-by-play person has to be really cognizant of, hey, the person at home or in their car or wherever they might be that is listening to this broadcast is not seeing the game. It is my responsibility to explain exactly where the ball is. What do you do? Walk me through your process a little bit on, because football is so complicated. There's obviously 22 moving pieces and then throw in, you're always looking for where referees are, et cetera, et cetera. Um, Where do your eyes go first and how do you break down something when there is a lot happening my eyes are on the ball at all times okay and i'm always amazed at the analysts that i work with because they see 22 players i see the ball okay i see the ball in the center's hand i see the ball in the quarterback's hand the running back's hand or the ball in the air going to a receiver and that's what i see i don't see the pass interference or the defensive hold on the other side of the field okay i i often miss a late hit on a quarterback because the quarterback will throw the ball and he's throwing it 30 yards down the field. And obviously I'm watching the play and then I'll say, Oh, there's a flag in the backfield. And then you hear the referee say late hit number 97 defense, uh, late hit on quarterback automatic first down. I've got to watch the replay to see it because I'm watching the ball, but that's my job. If I'm not watching the ball, I can't tell the listener what's happening. Plain and simple. The analyst has the ability because most of them have played or coach and they watch that, the, the, what do they call it? The team tape. Okay. Where the, the, the all 22. Yep. Right. Well, when I watch that, I'm so confused. I still watch the ball because that's my habit. And I think people who watch a game on television as football fans, watch the ball. You want to know where the ball is, you know, what, what's happening. And I have great respect for people who are able to look at 22 people and, and be able to see what all 22 of them are doing at any one given time. And when it comes to officiating, you know, I don't think people realize each official on the field has a group that they're supposed to look at. Right. All right. You know, the, the referee looks at the quarterback to see if there's a late hit. The referee doesn't see if there's a defensive hold. And everybody says, well, that, how did that guy miss it? Well, he's not supposed to be watching that. <laughs> right. You know, the umpire is looking for specific things uh, in, in offensive line play. Okay. And you've got your side judge and your back judge, and everybody's supposed to be looking at certain things in certain areas of the field. And I don't think people realize that. I think we all want to watch the ball. And then when there's a collision and was there interference, was there not interference, was there a hold, was there not a hold? And people say, well, how did they miss that? Well, only one person is really responsible for seeing it. And sometimes you just flat out miss it. You know, there can be a lot of things. As you said, there are 22 guys running around out there at full speed. And there's a lot to watch. So it's always been said you could call holding on every play in football. You could call a lot of things on almost every play in football. And you just, as an official, you have to pick and choose uh, when the right time is to throw that flame. When does storytelling come into the picture for you? Um, when well, are the best places? Nothing. <laughs> <laughs> are, are there places to do it, uh, or where are the best places to do it when it's when it's not forty-seven nothing? Well, sadly, there aren't a lot of spots to do it. If you've got a good close game, I think you have to be real careful about storytelling because, again, the the primary purpose is to describe what's going on on the field. I don't, I don't know that in football, now I'm talking football, now in baseball, right. which can be interminably long and you can have a guy who half a dozen foul balls in the same bat. <laughs> okay, you have plenty of time to weave in a story. In football, there's not a lot of time to weave things in. Uh, if you have a, a somewhat one-sided game, then you can begin to do things like that. You can certainly talk about strategy a little bit more and you can expound on it a little bit more when it's one-sided. Uh, it doesn't have to be 47 to nothing, obviously. <laughs> but as the game goes on, if, if if it's becoming apparent, if it's 24 to 3 late in the third quarter and the, the team that has that lead has been completely dominant defensively 
and the team that has the three has been completely inept offensively. You really you need to describe the two yard game. Don't get me wrong, but you don't have to describe who made the tackle. Okay, so that can lead to telling a story and weaving it in. Uh, I will have a spotter sometimes with three minutes left to go in a game that's a twenty one point game. Point to who made the tackle, and I'll just look at him. Okay, I got it. It's really not important <laughs> at this point. Okay, you know he throws over the middle, complete to the thirty six. That'll bring up a second and eight, and that's it. And now we can talk about whatever it is we're talking about and go back to weaving our story in. Uh, tell me your backstory a little bit about how we, we got here. Um, and I guess if you can take me through the, the entrepreneurial mindset of how Pacific West Radio Sports uh, came to be. Well, it's an interesting story. Uh, as far as how I started, I was working at an all-news station, KNX in Los Angeles, that had the rights to USC football and basketball. And from the time I was a little kid growing up in Los Angeles and listening to Dean Scully, I wanted to be a, I wanted to be a baseball play-by-play announcer. Um, it, it didn't turn out that I wound up in baseball, but play-by-play was what I wanted to do from the first time I listened to a game on the radio, uh, probably at the age of three. Uh, as far as the, the entrepreneurial side, I'll get to that. The, the first time I did play-by-play working at KNX, uh, there was a USC football and basketball conflict. As I recall, the football team was going to Japan to play a game, and there was a basketball game that night. So clearly the play-by-play announcer could not be in both places at once. And they came up to me and said, would you be able to do the basketball game? And I said, sure. And they said, have you done it before? And I lied through my teeth, and I said, sure. <laughs> and they said, do you have a tape? And I said, well, you know, it was lost in the great fire of Ot 6, and uh, I don't have a tape, no. And so – they said, you're going to do this game in a week. And I was absolutely terrified. I had no idea what I was doing. Uh, I, I went to the basketball coach at USC and I said, look, I haven't done this before. I know I can do it. I, I as a kid, I would sit in the stands and, and do baseball games. And I would sit in the stands and do basketball games and all of the things that all aspiring broadcasters do growing up. But it's a whole different deal when you're actually going to do it. And I was at practice every day for a week. And I learned every movement, just like what you were talking about what players' strengths were, what their weaknesses were, what the offensive philosophy was. And it, the first three minutes of the broadcast, remember, it was USC at Syracuse. And uh, it was it was awful. The, the first three minutes were terrible. And then all of a sudden I got into a rhythm. And I, I remember looking at my stats guy, who was a longtime friend of mine, and I, I brought him with me. And he actually worked with Chick Hearn doing stats, uh, the, the great Laker announcer. And we looked at each other and I said, you know what? I can do this. And he said, yeah, you can. <laughs> it, was, it was like this great moment. And so that was basketball. And then I got into football. I, I, I actually, some years later in the mid nineties, I was still working at KNX uh, on a part-time basis. And they had had the rights to USC for 21 years, I believe it was. And the word on the street was that they may not keep the rights and they were dropping the price, the, the rights fee because the, uh, all the games were getting on TV. You know, it used to be back in the 80s that you were on ABC television during the football season twice a year, and, and I think there was a maximum of three times a year. <laughs> and other than that, people couldn't watch the games. Yeah. There, there was no Fox Sports Network or Comcast or any of that stuff. Okay, if you weren't on network TV, you weren't on. So radio was really important, and obviously the, the rights were not – and I'm not saying it's not important now, by the way. Uh, let me clarify that. <laughs> but – but that was the only way people were going to be able to, to find out what was going on in the game. Right. right. It was there, the one was, and only. Yeah. Right. There were, there was no app on your phone to follow the game or anything like that. So anyway, uh, KNX, I guess, saw what was coming and they didn't want to give USC the kind of money that they had been giving them. They offered them a reduced rights fee. And when I heard that this was going on, I went to a buddy of mine who had played football at USC an obscure offensive lineman not a big name guy. Uh, and I said, you know, other than the fact that we don't have two nickels to rub together, what would stop us from bidding on these rights, ultimately getting them. And after a nationwide search, naming ourselves the announcer. And he looked at me like I was nuts, which I was. And I just thought it would be a great experience to find out what it was like. And so we got a hold of some people that I had worked with previously in radio on the sales side, put together a package and all of a sudden came down to our group and KNX. And I'm very uh, competitive, to say the least. And I said, you know what? We're going to get this thing. And we got it. And the That's next incredible. thing I knew, yeah, it was incredible. And the next thing I knew, 
Now, I'll tell you another great story. <laughs> the next thing I know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing football for USC, right? And this is, you know, this is one of the top programs in the country. And I remember getting my whole crew together and I hired an engineer and I got my stats guy and I got my statistician. And they had uh, on a Sunday night, the Sunday night before the regular season was going to start the following Saturday, they did a scrimmage at the Coliseum. So we went up to the booth and we got our tape recorders, but we were, we were doing a complete run through. And it was so bad, Joel. It was so horrendously bad that probably eight plays into it, I looked at everybody and said, that's it, shut it down. And everybody looked at me like, we're not going to, this is going to be one of the biggest failures in the history of broadcasting. And I said, we've got six days, we'll figure it out. And I didn't want to keep doing it because it was so bad that everybody would want to run and jump off the roof of the Coliseum. Wow. And I, and I would have led the way, by the way. I would have been the first sheep to jump off that roof. And I, I went back and I listened to the eight plays and I said, okay, you need to clean this up. You need to clean that up. And by the next Saturday, it was fine. It, it, it was just a matter of, of not having worked together and figuring out how best to make certain things clear and concise. You know, it worked out fine. And so I did the USC game for three years. What, what was uh, so what was so bad, by the way? Like, what threw you for such a loop that had you worried? And, and how did you get it cleaned up to the point where you were happy? Uh, I tried to describe where every offensive skill player was. Okay, so Keyshawn Johnson was one of the receivers. So Keyshawn Johnson in the slot to the right, so-and-so wide to the right, so-and-so in the slot to the left, so-and-so to the left, the two backs, so-and-so is a fullback, so-and-so is a tailback. You can't do it. Mm-hmm. Okay, it becomes this mishmash of names. Okay, so you learn two receivers right, two to the left. If there is a big-time guy that you want to keep an eye on, uh, if you want to know where Keyshawn Johnson is, pinpoint then you him. say you, you pinpoint him. Okay, you do that with the New Orleans Saints. Where's Michael Thomas? Okay, you've got you've got four receivers in the game, but Michael Thomas is in the slot to the right because right. he's the guy that's catching 120 passes a year. So, and I don't do it on every play, but in key situations, on a third and eight where you know they're going to throw the ball, you want to let people know where Michael Thomas is lined up. Okay, so you just learn things like that as you go along. But that first night. I was trying to describe where everybody was, and then I didn't have time to do it. And the play was was starting before I had finished describing where everybody was, and it just wasn't clear to me at that moment what I was doing. And then when I went back and listened to it, it was like, hey, the, the fewer words, the better, in many uh, instances. And that's still my philosophy. You know, I, I think we all get caught up in trying to describe too much. One of my other pet thieves, he's going to punt the football. <laughs> well, really. He's not punting a tennis ball, okay? He's not punting a golf ball. He's not punting a baseball. He's not punting anything else. And obviously, he's punting the football. So he's in punt formation, okay? Or he's going to punt, or that was a good punt. Or he's throwing well today. You don't need to say he's throwing the football well today. And it's it's a particular pet peeve of mine in football. We all all do it. And, you know, score the basketball is a big one. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Clearly, it's a basketball or it's a football or it's a baseball, and they don't do it in in baseball. They don't say uh, 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 Max Scherzer's throwing the baseball well today. He's throwing the ball well today. That's and that's the way it should be said. Obviously, he's throwing a baseball. So you know, Tom Brady had a lot of uh, zip on that ball. Not a lot of zip on that football. Obviously, it's a football, and we do it with the yard line. Okay, he's across the twenty out to the twenty-five yard line. Yeah. He's across the 20 to the 25. We all know it's a yard line. Now, it's fine to do it once in a while, but I find that if you do it on every play, it becomes very disconcerting. Hmm. I just think it's 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 almost like, uh, oh, gosh. I don't want to use the word crutch, but I'm going to anyway. It's almost like a crutch. It's just something, a, a habit that we fall into, and I try not to do it. I, I We all do it once in a while, and I think once in a while is fine, but I think that, when you do it all the time, it really becomes a distraction. Yeah, and it's one of those where I don't think I've ever referred to it in conversation as the 25-yard line. No, no, of course not. If you, yeah, it's a 25, exactly. Yeah. But sometimes we all get caught up in that idea that, hey, I have to describe everything. And when you feel like you have to describe everything, you're describing too much. Yeah. It's a fine line. You have to walk a very fine line because you don't want to be – the guy that says, okay, second and three, and he boosts across the 20, and he's got the first now. Okay, well, again, where? He's a, we've established that he's across the 20, right? Or he throw, the other one, here's another one for you. We're coming back to all these things. Goes deep down the right sideline incomplete. 
at the 32. Okay. Thank you. Right. Okay, to say that he threw deep down the right sideline doesn't tell me anything. Or he throws, throws over the middle incomplete intended for Michael Thomas. Well, where? Was it at the 30, the 35, the 40, the 40? We, we, you got to tell me where it was. That's our job in radio. Again, television, you don't need to say that. He's looking for Michael Thomas, threw it behind him. Okay, well, on TV, we can see that it was at the 40 yard line. But on radio, you can't. And that's our job as radio play by play announcers. So, uh, so you guys get, oh, so anyway, yeah, so back you get USC back on track. Field. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sorry. I, I, <laughs> I digress. No, we're good. Uh, so the USC thing lasted three years. Uh, there was a falling out with the athletic department. Uh, the athletic director was not a very nice person. And uh, there were some bad things that went on. He was subsequently relieved of his duties. Went elsewhere, was relieved of his duties there. Went elsewhere and was relieved of his duties there as well. So clearly he had a habit of getting relieved of his duties. <laughs> uh, anyway, I, I just got this wild hair. Um, that was I did USC in 95, 96, and 97. So I had talked to the person who was running uh, Westwood One in 90, I guess late 97, maybe 98. And actually, my partner was at a golf tournament with this guy. And the guy said, yeah, you know, I, I've heard you guys. You're really good. Send me something. We'll, we'll get you some work. So we sent something, and it was the typical non-response. Refused to take a phone call. Never called us back. Never did anything, which I just think is rude. Okay, just say, listen, I, 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 had, I haven't had a chance to listen. Or if you indeed did listen, you know, I don't think you're the right fit. Or to just get back to somebody. Right. And that 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 drives me nuts because I went through all of that in my formative years. And I think it's exceedingly rude and no one is so busy that they don't have time to return a phone call or an email. Okay. It doesn't take that long. Anyway, this irritated me with, uh, with this person at Westwood one and Westwood one was the only company that was doing all this. They were doing the NFL. They were doing the college game of the week. And, um, I had, Somebody called me about a year after we were out, and he said he had the rights to a few bowl games. Okay, and they were second-tier bowl games, but decent bowl games. And he said, you know, you guys did a great job with the UFC network, and you were able to expand it. And how did you do that? And I need to pick your brain. And how did you get sponsors? And I said, well, you know, what what do you want to know? And what are we going to get out of this? And he said, well, uh, you know, your 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 advice would be uh, taken very uh, appreciatively and I said that's all well and good but what are you doing and, he, and I didn't like the guy's tone so I called whatever ball game he said he had and they said oh yeah we worked with him last year it was terrible yeah are you interested <laughs> and I said it might be and so what we wound up doing we got the rights to a handful of ball games and we had the ability to get them on stations across the country and that began to plant to that really was planted the seed and so in 2001, I was doing some baseball. I moved to the, uh, what were they then? The Anaheim Angels in 99. I did a pre and post game show for them and did some play by play for them. And I just, I didn't like working for other people. Uh, and I, I just kept thinking Westwood's the only one that does this. Westwood's the only one that does this. Why can't anybody compete with Westwood? And I had uh, a gentleman who had helped us greatly at USC. Uh, his name was Dennis Holt, and he at the time owned a company called. Western International Media, and they were the biggest uh, media buyers in the country. So they handled all these big accounts. They handled uh, like Carl's Jr. In, in on the West Coast. I think it's Hardy's on the East Coast right. in Central States. But it was the same account. And yeah, I mean, he had a lot of big clients. So he, he spent a lot of money on our USC broadcast. And I went to him, and he, he had a national department, people who bought nationally. And I said, you know, I'm doing these bowl games, and I'm, I'm on 30, 35 stations. But I can't get I can't get to Toyota. I can't get to McDonald's. How do I do it? And he said, "Well, it's a problem. You're not doing a game every week." And I went to him, and I used to call him Uncle Dennis. And I said, "Uncle Dennis, I need your advice." They <laughs> said, "The only way, I, if I the only way I'm going to make it, I think, is if I do a game of the week. But if I commit to a game of the week, I could get killed." And I said, "If I do a game of the week, will I be able to get in to see the sponsors?" And he said, "Absolutely." And I said, "What if they don't buy?" And he said, then you're screwed. And he got this big Cheshire cat grin on his face. <laughs> and he said, he said, but that won't happen because you'll have a game of the week. So we, in 2001, I said, okay, we're going for it. And I remember the first time that I approached the school, 
I got a hold of Ohio State. They were playing, uh, who was it? I believe it was Purdue. And in those days, you just went to the, the home team. And I knew what the rights fees were that Westwood was paying because when I had the rights to USC, Westwood had called me. USC was really good. It was, I think, 97. And you were playing Florida State early in the year. And Westwood called me. And Florida State was a perennial power. And they were both top five. And they said, we want to do this game nationally. And we black out the LA area and the Florida area. And we'll pay you X. And to me, that was money falling out of the sky. I said, what do I have to do for this? They said, nothing. I said, that's the, that's the way I like to get paid for doing nothing. <laughs> We're playing to my strength. So I knew, I knew what the parameters were. I knew what, what schools were being paid. So I called Ohio State. And it, at the time, it was 7500 bucks. And I said, and with, by the way, with Westwood One, you had to go chasing them after the money forever. Okay. I, I don't think they still do business that way. But in those days, you had to really chase the money. So it was February. The game had been played in September. And in February, I'm like, guys, where's my 7500 bucks? Well, you know, uh, we're looking into it. And, and it, it was months until you got paid. So I went to Ohio State and I said, here's my deal. I'll give you 7500 I'll pay you 3750 when you sign the contract. And I'll give you the other 3750 day of the game. And these guys, obviously, their eyes lit up. And they said, oh, great. And I'll never forget. And I still have it somewhere in my office, the first contract. And it was a little one-page thing. And the guy put in there, even if you never make it on the air, we get to keep this 3750 <laughs> We're going to make it on the air. And that's fine. I, I happily signed that. And uh, that was the first game we did. And it was in 2001, first game of, of a full season. And did a full season in 2001, uh, did not do very well with sponsors, didn't know how to go about getting them, um, had hired the wrong guy to handle the sales department, uh, went out and got somebody else. And uh, the next year, the NFL heard, had heard about us. I went to them. I was interested in doing their games. They said, we've heard your college games. And I turned around to see who had walked in the room because I figured somebody else was they were talking to. It couldn't have been me. And they said, we like what you do. We'd like you to do a game of the week and, and doubleheader and compete with Westwood one. And I said, me? And he said, yes. And that's how it all started. And, you know, we, we started, uh, went out and got a rep firm out of New York to handle all the advertising sales for college and started doing the NFL in 2002. And we are now coming up on our, well, let's be the 19th year. Um, coming up 19th year of doing NFL games. Pretty crazy. And it's gone by fast. How's it feel to say that? To, to think about where things were and to, to be two decades into it now. It's, it's amazing. I, I remember when I did it, I thought if I can get 10 years out of this, I'll be the happiest guy in the world. And now we're coming up on 20 and I love every minute of it. I'm not tired of it. Uh, you get a little tired of the travel because I don't get any home games. Um, although now I get a couple because you have the Rams and the Chargers in LA, but until two years ago, every game I did was a road game for me. Okay. I, uh, the thing about doing national is unless you live in an NFL city, which amazingly Los Angeles was not for 21 years, uh, you're on the road every week and you get on those airplanes in November and December and it's the 14th, 15th, 16th straight week that you're on the road. And it, it, it's grueling. It really is. Uh, having the opportunity now to stay home for a weekend occasionally and do a, a Rams game at the Coliseum or a Chargers game at whatever they're calling their soccer stadium uh, this week, uh, at least it's I'm sleeping in my own bed and I'm in my own car and it's a tremendous respite. So instead of counting down, OK, I'm five down, 12 to go in a 17 week season. You, it's like all right, I got three in a row on the road, then I'll do a home game. Then I've got four on the road and I'll do a home game. And it's like starting all over. And the last few years have been so amazingly easy just because of that. I, it's more mental than it is physical, but you just know you, you don't have to get on a plane. And um, so it's, it's been a lot easier and, and hopefully they're going to be in this new stadium this year. Although with this situation we're in now yesterday for the first time, uh, there was serious discussion. Well, what if the stadium, the new SoFi stadium is not ready <laughs> and nobody wants to think of that, but it's a possibility. Uh, hopefully none of that comes to fruition, but um, it's helped to have teams in LA. Let's put it that way. But it's, it's, you know, 20 years, it's unbelievable, almost 20. 19th year coming up, it's, it, it bottles my mind. It really does. And it, 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 to have somebody like you call me, I'm, I'm honored by that. The fact that anybody wants to hear the nonsense that spews from my mouth is uh, <laughs> it's great. And, and, I, and I, look, I make light of it. I, we take what we do very seriously. But it's, it's an honor and it's a privilege to do NFL games. 
I mean, there aren't very many companies that get to do this. Right. And uh, it, it's it's tremendous. I'm, I'm, I'm very proud of, of what we, we as a group have accomplished, and I'm very honored to be one of the people who gets to do an NFL game every week. Because it's great. It's really fun. What's the hardest part about it, being the guy that runs the show and being on the air as well? Um, and, you know, I always think about it from the standpoint of like, like, I like doing radio sometimes more than I do television because you're in control a little bit more. Uh, yep. all, all of the moving pieces, like, you know, kind of what they all are. And in, in our case at Ball State, I'm my own engineer. So if something goes wrong, it's something that I usually did. Um, yep. and, and I've got a handle on it. In TV, you don't. Uh, right. in, in your case, where, where you've got so many balls in the air uh, because you're, you're running the whole show and doing the game, um, what's the anxiety like going into a, a Sunday for you? Or is it one of those things where it's just you're now at the point where, you know what, we know what we're doing. Let's go, let's go uh, have a show and have a good time. Uh, there's no anxiety for the most part. Uh, I, I keep the same crew. I, I travel with my own group. I have my own statistician who travels with me. I have my own spotter. Uh, I have two, well, I have three spotters, one of whom is my son who's just turned 18. <laughs> so he doesn't do every week, but he's, he's there and I know he's good. He's got great eyes. Uh, and I have a couple of different analysts that I work with. Uh, and I have two or three different engineers that I am comfortable with. Okay. And two of the guys work as part of sports USA, um, on a basically a full-time basis. So there's a comfort level there. I get a little bit of anxiety when we have to work with an engineer that I'm not familiar with. Uh, late in the year, my stats guy every year, Christmas week doesn't work that game. It's usually week 16. And I freak out because <laughs> he knows exactly what I'm looking for. Uh, he and I sit down an hour before the game or an hour and a half before the game and go through all of these notes. And he has all these post-it notes. And he probably has 40, 50, 40 to 50 post-it notes on the window to his left. And he sits to my left. And he just knows where they are. How he does it, I have no idea. But when somebody does something, he'll hand me a note and say that he, with that five-yard gain, so-and-so has just gone over X number of yards for his career and moves him to number two on the all-time Denver Broncos list. All of these things that I can't possibly keep track of, but he's amazing in that he does it. So when I get somebody new, I, I'm very apprehensive, very apprehensive. And nine times out of ten, they've proven me to be right to be apprehensive because they're just awful. And that's why I travel with my guy. And, and they mean well, but they don't, when you don't work with somebody on a regular basis, right. you don't know what they're thinking and what they're looking for. And, and people come into our booth all the time and they say, my gosh, it's a well-oiled machine. Everybody knows what the other guy's doing and that's great. And that's the way it's supposed to be. But boy, when you, when you start messing with that, it's really difficult. So that's, that's the only apprehension I have. Uh, certain stadiums, the, National radio booth location is not good. And, and, and again, the listener doesn't care. They don't want to hear it. Uh, but I'll be sitting in Cincinnati where I am literally catty corner to the end zone. Okay, I'm, an, I'm, I'm by the back pylon, right, if you could picture that. So when it's third down and less than a yard at the other 20-yard line going away from me, I see 22 bodies colliding. That's it. It can be a three-yard gain. It can be a, a loss of two yards, and I don't know. And the only thing I can do is watch the side judge because he's going to tell me where they're going to mark the ball and I'll know whether they got the first down. Interesting. And you can theoretically do it off the of television, but in some cities, uh, Cincinnati being one of them, you're not getting a live truck feed. So there's actually a four or five or six or seven second delay on what we see on the screen. So that goes back to what I'm talking about. The crowd will roar and I've got to wait seven seconds to describe the play. That doesn't work either. So it, it, those situations I try not to put myself in, the beauty of running the company is if I'm going to do a game in a, a stadium where I don't like the view, I send the other crew. <laughs> <laughs> I do. And I, I go to New England where I'm sitting on the 45-yard line, and I go to Seattle where I'm sitting on the 40-yard line, and I go to all the good stadiums uh, where I can see the game. And I, if we have to do a game in one of those bad stadiums, uh, then I just tell my other crew, hey, guys, guess what? You're going to Minnesota this week. Big game, Vikings and, and Packers. Oh, great, yeah. And then they go, and then they, they sit there, and boy, that's that was bad. You know, you can't see that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that's why you went, and I did. That's exactly right. So that part of it's fun. 
Larry, if people want to find um, more Larry Khan in their lives or... or uh, oh, God! Uh, don't play. you got to have something better to do. <laughs> or catch, uh, don't, catch don't. Sports USA Radio. Uh, how do they find their uh, their uh, affiliates, for lack of a better term? Um, uh, how do just, they find more of you? Well, uh, <laughs> uh, more of me is not necessarily a good thing. You can ask my wife and kid about that. Uh, the only way to do it is to listen to you know your local station. Obviously, there are blackout rules in the NFL. Uh, I believe on our website, which is sportsusamedia.com, we have a list of affiliates. Uh, certainly during the season, that changes all the time, and we try and keep it updated. And I think we do it by state and uh, by city and all of those things. Uh, some, some weeks we're on, some weeks we're not because of blackout restrictions uh, in NFL cities. Uh, we are not on. If, if, if you live in Indianapolis, Okay, and the Colts are playing at noon, and I'm doing the game at the same time between the Bears and the Packers. We can't be on in Indianapolis. We respect the local rights. Okay, but if my game is the late game and the Colts are playing at noon, then I can be on in Indianapolis. So it's a week to week thing. Even though I'm not doing the Colts game, we can't be on against the Colts. So it's it's a long-winded way of saying you're on your own. because we're not allowed to stream it and obviously we have all of the broadcasts and i think it's a kind of a silly thing on the part of the nfl but they are very protective of their game rights but no you know what the good news is there is no way to get more of larry Khan. so that's that's in these these days of the pandemic and everybody being uh, down in the dumps there's something to be happy about you cannot get more larry Khan. so For what that's worth, <laughs> Larry. Um, on that note, <laughs> yeah, there's, I, there's not much to say after that, is there, Joel? <laughs> I uh, I appreciate you uh, you sharing some wisdom and and diving in and, and telling your story a little bit and, and and thank you so much for coming on here. Yeah, it was my pleasure. Really. All right, that is Larry Khan joining us here on episode number one eighty one of Play by Playcast. You know, it's fascinating. Larry's not the first guy on this podcast with that entrepreneurial story, you know, Brian Estridge from TCU, the Horn Frogs announcer, basically, not basically, he did, founded his entire bowl radio network years ago and broadcasts bowl games throughout the course of the year. Uh, Patrick Keenis, if you remember, go way back into the early days of this podcast, the AAA voice of the Durham Bulls, when he was uh, in AA with the... Carolina Mudcats, he went from being a Mudcats employee to his own employee. Just decided, I'm going to go sell the ads and be Patrick Keenis Inc., pay himself as the radio broadcaster. Um, I don't have that entrepreneurial gut. I watch a lot of Shark Tank. So I'm really hip to um, needing. No, knowing that you need to have something proprietary and great margins. Uh, but that is that is where what I, I know about being an entrepreneur ends. But it's really cool and fascinating to hear the stories of the guys that set out and made their own network and their own path. And for a guy like Larry Kahn, his own company and his own career in this industry. Um, so a ton of wonky stuff in terms of descriptive words, the right words, and the right ways to set up plays. But I thought the how Sports USA Radio came to be uh, aspect of this week's podcast was particularly entertaining. Uh, it was a long one today, so I won't ramble on more. We're off until next week. Until then, my name is Joel Godet. This is PXPCast, and we are out. See you. That will do it from St. Louis, where the score is inconclusive.